0: Hey everyone, if you love the Sus Talk podcast, make sure to also check out other pods across the HSP network. Take a listen to amazing shows such as Subway to Shea, Third Floor Lounge, HSP, and Adventures with Trend Center. Make sure to hit the notification bell and subscribe today so you don't miss out on all the great podcasts on HSP. Welcome to the Sustock Podcast. I'm Araki. The NBA playoffs have reached the semifinals for both conferences, and joining me right now to go over everything surrounding this postseason is the host of the and lead producer of the Baller Biz Podcast, and he also hosts Shoot Around on the Locker Room App for the Lead Sports Media. I'm joined by Pat Foster. Pat, thank you so much for coming back to the show.
1: Sus, thanks so much for having me. I'm really glad we were able to make this happen. And I always love talking hoops with you, especially around playoff time. So let's let's get this done.
0: All right. Let's first go into we have we have to basically just clean clean some house a little bit. And I know that there's a lot, there's still like eight teams left in in, in these playoffs, and there's superstars and all everywhere in every single one of these teams. But we need to first cover the Boston Celtics, your team, the Boston Celtics. And a lot of upheaval happened in the past week with Danny Ainge stepping down and surprise, surprising and shocking the entire basketball landscape. Brad Stevens now has taken over as the president of basketball operations for the Boston Celtics. So when you heard the news that Ainge was stepping down and Stevens was basically assuming his role, what was your instant reaction?
1: Well, I think just like every Celtics fan, no matter when it came, when Danny Ainge left, it was going to be like, oh, wow, this is really happening. Um, and it just, you know, I don't want to say it was a matter of time kind of issue with Danny. And uh, I mean, it, get, don't get me wrong. As a Celtics fan, as someone that's just followed the team as closely as I have, I think Danny has gotten a little unnecessary hate for maybe the complacency throughout seasons, but I think after this year, it was pretty obvious that something needed to change within the organization. And uh, I think Wick, Wick Rousbeck and uh, Danny Ainge just kind of came to a mutual agreement that uh, maybe that was where the change needed to be made. Uh, and they wanted him to go out on good terms, didn't want to, like, let him go or fire him or anything like that. They let him resign. Um, and then you stay in house and you bring Brad Stevens into the president of basketball operations and general manager role, which I think is going to be great because of the way every single player on the Celtics roster right now and, 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 and uh, at part of the front office. Um, the way they've talked about Brad Stevens over the last few years and uh, especially this past season after, you know, I think a lot of fans may have been looking at Brad Stevens as a possible, you know, person to blame for the lack of success for Boston this year. I wasn't one of those people. Um,
0: even in the, even at the end of the year,
1: players were still, you know, praising Brad saying how much they loved and appreciated him and you know, understood how good of a basketball mind he was. So I'm happy they kept Brad Stevens in house. He's someone that I think definitely has a vision uh, for this Boston Celtics team. What that vision is, I'm not exactly sure. Um, and I guess we're going to really get our first glimpse as to what Brad Stevens wants to do uh, this offseason with, obviously who he decides to hire as head coach. But I think there are some roster potential roster moves to be made as well. Um, and there are certain moves like potentially moving a guy like Marcus smart, where if he pulled the trigger like that on his first off season in the position after Danny Ainge had, you know, really been hesitant to include Marcus smart in deals in years past. Um, I think that would be, you know, regardless of the deal it would be a loud, loud statement to make um, hopefully, you know, for Boston Celtics fans and for the Celtics in general, that, you know, it works out to be a good trade for Boston, but you know, he's got to find a head coach, but there are still roster moves to be made this off season that could let Brad Stevens kind of make his name known now as, or just kind of give him the reputation in the position of not being quite as complacent as Danny. And I think that's what Boston fans want to see. They just want to see a little bit of aggression in the position. Um, and by no means do they want to see this head coaching uh, decision be made hastily or quickly, you know, I was talking about you know Nate Bjorken, uh being out as the head coach in Indiana. Yet last night with Justin Huntsman on our podcast uh, on locker room, and I was saying how you know both of these teams are in kind of similar positions in that you know there's a market that is going to adapt here still. Um, but as for the Pacers, it looks like they're very heavily going after a guy like Terry Stotts with experience for the Celtics. I think a lot of people are expecting they kind of go a similar route and get someone with head coaching experience. But I think the most important thing for both of these teams and Boston, especially with the talent they have in Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown is even if you find a guy that doesn't have a crazy amount of experience, if this is someone that's going to come in, connect with this group of young guys, this core and he's going to be able to light a fire under them, just like whoever comes into Indiana needs to do the same thing for Demonis Sabonis, Malcolm Brogdon, Karis LeBert. That's what matters most. I don't think, Having a guy with head coaching experience really takes precedence over that. Obviously, it would be nice, but I think we're going to have to wait and see what Brad Stevens does. I would expect Brad Stevens being, you know, a first time NBA head coach himself with the Boston Celtics, that he wouldn't be closed minded and would definitely interview everyone that he thought was qualified. But it's going to be really interesting. There have been a lot of names already thrown around. Um, But overall, I think the Celtics did a good thing uh, shaking things up after what was a really turbulent season. And you have two young star players. Uh, under contract now especially Tatum who's just going to be going his his extension kicks in in this upcoming season you just want to make them know for sure that you're willing to do whatever to prioritize them and get the best team built around them so to be honest with you I think Boston did the right thing and for it's now just about Brad Stevens making the right decisions as a GM he's just got to be aggressive that's all Boston Celtics fans want to see
0: we talked about this last time I had you on my podcast, which was the one thing about the Celtics team that just never seemed to click or it never got them into that next level was they never had like the bench step or the rotation guys mm-hmm. to really supplement and help Tatum and Brown. So when you have to rely on guys like Semi Grant Williams, when you have to rely on those kinds of players, and even like Peyton Pritchard, who did show signs, but like he's still a rookie. Like, the sheer fact that you have to rely on those kinds of players that require a little bit more development, th- that's the problem. And I always felt like when you have the assets that they had, they had, it's not even just like the Brooklyn picks that they had. It was also their own picks and other, and other picks that they got through trades. Mm-hmm. They could have used those trades in like the past couple of seasons. And I, and I think this is why a lot of fans were pretty, were getting a little annoyed by how angel was handling the team. They were annoyed because like, they had like these late round picks that they could have shipped off to get a rotation guy to really help, help the team out. Like you could have gotten like a vet, like somebody on the market that could have been like that third guard off the bench that could sub sub in for either Kemba or Marcus smart and, and still keep the rhythm going with Tatum and Brown. And I think that's what, where the frustration settles in. Do you feel that, that, that kind of, criticism is justified or is it a little overblown?
1: No, I think it's definitely somewhat justified. Danny Inge definitely built up a reputation of just, you know, stashing these draft picks and not doing much with them. Obviously it became apparent that this team needed, you know, high IQ veteran uh, depth when, I mean, throughout the season. And that's why they went out and got Evan Fournier who, I know the intention is to re-sign him this offseason. I think that would absolutely be a smart idea, whether they keep Kemba Walker or not. I think Evan Fournier would be a really nice fit on this roster, would be a really nice veteran, Um, and he's, you know, in an environment where he could definitely compete and win. I've enjoyed watching Evan Fournier with the Celtics. That's not going to get it done on its own, though. They've got to go get some other guys that have experience, and, you know, wing depth is absolutely one of the – Issues that needs to be addressed for this team. One of the names being thrown around all season uh, in connection to Boston possibly using their Gordon Hayward TPE was Harrison Barnes. Um, And, you know, they never pulled the trigger on it. I thought that would have been an awesome fit had they been able to work a deal out. Obviously, there are details and conversations that go on behind the scenes that because I'm just not in, in NBA front offices, I'll never know. Um, But I can only assume that those conversations were happening and were, you know, were exercised to the fullest extent. But um, yeah, I I mean, Danny had definitely built up the reputation of just not trading these draft picks for, you know, more established players in the league, just to put it as simply as that. And um, it ultimately came back to bite Boston in the butt this year when you saw, you know, your depths consist of majority. I mean, as before you traded for Fournier, the most experience you had coming off that bench was semi-ogele and the inexperience was absolutely highlighted. And I mean, exact, I mean, made even worse, I guess exacerbated would be the word with, you know, Jason Tatum struggling with COVID, Kemba Walker, not being able to play back-to-backs Jalen Brown going down from going down for a portion of the year, right. When he was, you know, making a real case for most improved player of the year in the first, you know, 25, 30, 35 games of the season. Um, this team, and then obviously in the playoffs, Jalen Brown not being able to stay healthy either. Um, it's it just this team had a really rough year not being able to stay healthy, not keeping all their talented guys on the floor. And it just kind of exposed this, this lack of depth and the amount of youth this team really has that just was shell-shocked in plenty of games, you know, just against teams with just experience. not at, Like games against the Cleveland Cavaliers where there's just over like overall – not a great Eastern Conference team, but they had players like Kevin Love, even Colin Sexton, Darius Garland, who have a year of starting basketball, at least one year each of starting uh, NBA basketball under their belt. So, you know, games like that where you don't have anyone but Jason Tatum, they're going to be a, it's a lot of load on Jason Tatum in the middle of a season, and it's just impossible to ask one guy to go out and win game after game after game. I mean, Jason Tatum is incredibly talented. I'm sure he could have done the that to ask him to carry that load, especially when, when he was coming back from COVID. And we all know he was using an inhaler, as he talked about, for quite some time following uh, his dealing with COVID. So, um, yeah, I, it's clear that Daniel had, had built up that reputation of just holding on to draft picks too long. And because of all the health and, uh, I guess, injury issues this year Boston saw, those draft picks and the inexperience was definitely brought to light and it was made pretty obvious. So hopefully with the remaining picks. And I think the the, the worst part is too, the picks that they decide not to hold on to like Desmond Bain are like Desmond Bain is, I, I watched Desmond Bain in Memphis. I was watching him in the, in that, uh, Playoff series against Utah. I was watching him in the plan. I was thinking, wow, this guy would fit really, really well with the Boston Celtics. And Sadiq Bay, a guy that the Boston Celtics passed up on for Aaron and a guy that had a very, very solid rookie season in Detroit, who I think would fit perfectly into this mix where he is now at this young of an age alongside guys like Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. So, unfortunately for the Celtics, outside of guys like Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, and I will throw Peyton Pritchard into that conversation, and Robert Williams as well, a lot of the guys that they've held on to the draft picks up and drafted just haven't been NBA ready and haven't amounted to much. Carson Edwards, Grant Williams, even at this point, semi-Ogele, like they're just guys that aren't getting the job done and they need to improve it though in those areas in order to get to more help around Tatum and Brown. And if they hold on to Kemba, Kemba Walker as well, and just to get this team back into uh, playoff contention.
0: I'll wrap this, the Celtics segment off with one more question, which is, how do you feel just like the idea of like Brad Stevens? Cause I was having this conversation with a colleague at CBS sports radio. And he basically, we were, we were talking about how this was going to work because it's so different. I get that. Like with Brad Stevens, like back in when he was coaching a Butler, he was also in charge of recruiting players and going after guys. So he has like some experience scouting people because he mm-hmm. had to do it. So he has an eye for talent at the very least, but there's so much other components about being a a general manager or president of basketball operations is you have to go around the world you have to basically negotiate trades you have to finance negotiate with free agents which is different Mm -hmm. with compared to recruiting a high schooler because when you're recruiting a high schooler you you're trying to get them to buy you you basically are just selling on one thing whereas with a professional basketball player, like let's say you're going after someone who's seeking their second contract. Mm -hmm. They're going to try to push back and fight with you on during, on the negotiation table. So that's the only the part about, there's just components about being a professional general manager in this league that I'm not sure like Stevens has the tools Mm -hmm. for yet. I'm not saying Mm -hmm. he doesn't have it. I'm saying he still has it. He doesn't have those tools yet. So does that concern you at all? It's not
1: concerning. We just got to, you know, give him time and let him learn. Clearly, The Boston Celtics felt that Brad Stevens had a quality that would make him at least one quality that will help him succeed as a general manager and president of basketball operations. One thing I think is tremendous is for a guy that wasn't, you know, was at one point a pharmaceutical rep and then spent his the majority of his coaching uh, at, you know, a, a high level, still an amateur level in the NCAA was his ability to really form these strong bonds with players at the NBA level and handle and manage pro guys players have never had an seemingly never had an issue with Brad Stevens as a coach, as a personality. So, I have no concern that Brad Stevens will be able to attract free agents or attract, you know, solid head coaching uh, options simply because of the fact that through his time as Boston's head coach, he's been able to form great relationships with guys there. Unfortunately, that's all the evidence I have to pull from. So you're absolutely right. We just don't know right now how how Brad Stevens is going to do business. And that's what's going to be really interesting about this offseason. And like I said, there's more business to be done than just finding a head coach. Roster moves need to be made. So this is going to be a very telling offseason for Brad Stevens. What Justin uh, Huntsman and I always talk about in regards to this team now is that, you know, Danny Ainge, when it came to getting a deal done, it was my way or the highway. And he pretty much built up that reputation. And it seemed like teams were just done trying to deal with Danny Ainge, and the Boston Celtics. Now you at least have a fresh face in there. And no one knows how this guy's going to do business. So hopefully teams are now at least like, well, maybe the door is open here. There are players that we're interested in. Let's approach Boston and talk talk with Brad. See, see how he does business. So that's what this offseason is going to be for the Boston Celtics, seeing how Brad Stevens does business. And hopefully he can make some kind of Uh, impact uh, or, or make some at least one move that I think all Boston fans can get behind just to get them some support at the position early on, because I think that's what's important after a move like this is just making sure the fan base is behind it. And how do you get the fan base behind it? You make the right decisions as soon as possible. So there is pressure on Brad Stevens, but it's going to be a waiting game for Celtics fans and NBA fans and analysts because we're not going to know how Brad Stevens does business. I don't even think after this off season, but we're at least going to get an idea until then we don't know anything. And it's just, you're absolutely right to just say, you know, to, to at least question, does Brad Stevens has the, have the chops and have the qualities necessary to be a successful NBA GM? We don't know yet. So we'll have to wait for the end of this off season to at least get an idea.
0: Let's go to another team that has some questions with their roster at the very least that they need to solve. And that's that the Dallas Mavericks, they just got bounced by the Los Angeles Clippers And this is a team that is built around one guy. It's built around Luka Dokic, Dokic, Dokic. I'm still trying to figure out the pronunciation for that, even even today. But nevertheless, this guy is a bona fide superstar. But their roster, I feel, is not as equipped or is definitely not equipped to advance past the first round. And this this is the, the conundrum that I've noticed is that I feel like When I watch this team and building a roster around Luca is looks to be pretty difficult. Mm -hmm. Where you need like a certain certain players, you need a certain type of guys to be around Luca. And we're already seeing some chemistry questions around him and Christabs for Zingis, because you're seeing statements from Christabs saying, Well, I thought we were gonna be co-stars. And Mm The problem with that is it's like Christaps, like one, you, you have to look at the season and know that Luca's just like ascended to a point where you, I don't think even Christaps is gonna reach. And but that aside, this whole roster, I feel like it's just not good enough to just support and help Luca because we clearly feel that if Luca had a better roster, I guarantee you the Maverick would be in the second round. But mm. when you look at the situation down in Dallas what how do you th- is it more or less like uh, how difficult is it just to like build a roster around Luca? is it more that they just haven't been able to find the players or is it just really difficult to find players that gel well with Luca?
1: well I think people are overlooking how significant the lack of production from Chris Stapps has been for whatever reason that is whether he thinks whether it's because it's just not the right fit or he's just not the player we'd thought he was in New York, or maybe the injuries did affect him to some degree. I don't know, but the KP Luca experiment just has not worked. So Luca Doncic is number two. And it was pretty obvious throughout that entire uh, series against the Clippers is Tim Hardaway Jr. Who's off the books after this year, and they're going to have to find a way to resign. Now, Right now, he's making $19 million, and after the playoff series he just had, you'd have to expect he's going to be looking for a contract in the $25 million range, or at least somewhere around there. Um, so that's someone you're going to have to look to resign for next season. Outside of that, the books don't open up tremendously for Dallas. Bobon's no longer on the books for them. I'm pretty sure Nicolomelli's Melli's contract runs up uh, this season as well. There's a lot of youth on there that, too that i think gets overlooked like you still got josh green jalen brunson I, mean, I like josh green too i think he's going to be a solid player for them but he's young jalen brunson he's only 24 um you know he's not necessarily the he's he's i like jalen brunson a lot but is how much can we really rely on jalen brunson in a playoff series as a third option right now it's just not it's not realistic so uh, they have i mean yeah that i think they definitely need to work on the overall roster but my my thing is I don't think the overall roster is quite that bad I really think it's just the one two tandem of Luka KP failed. it flopped really hard and without a number two going up against the Los Angeles Clippers it was going to be really really difficult to beat them and the way Kawhi Leonard played and just took over in that game six I think it became obvious that they had the best player I mean, that's not true. Luka Doncic was so phenomenal. It's so hard to say that Kawhi was even the best player in those last two games, but Kawhi in game six, in my opinion, was the, was the best player on the floor. And I think that game kind of sealed the deal for me because I just, unless Chris Stapps was the number two that this team needed all year long, which he never really was, then they just, I don't think, I didn't think they were going to have a shot. LA was a better form team and also just had the Paul George stepped up enough. And then Kawhi just kind of dominated. So, um, it doesn't surprise me. I just, I, I think a lot of people are looking at overall roster for the Dallas Mavericks when I think the problem really lays with just KP was not the right number two for Luka Doncic. Tim Hardaway Jr. is not a number two either. That's the number that if you can get Tim Hardaway Jr. At around 22, $23 million to be your third option. I think Dallas has done a, a solid job with Tim Hardaway Jr. Now the question is you or now that the goal is you need to find a number two, a second option here for Luka Doncic to get him some, More significant help. Um, If you can find him another another number two with Tim Hardaway Jr. as a third option, I mean, that's that's a much scarier team, and I I think a team that could make a deeper run in the playoffs, and definitely could have, probably would have, um, beaten the Clippers in the first round. Because I just think the way Luka Doncic played in those first five games, if there was another if there was another person providing consistent minutes alongside Tim Hardaway Jr. and Luka Doncic, then Yeah, I would say they probably would have beaten the Clippers, but I just don't. Kristaps Porzingis experiment just kind of has already failed. So I think that's the big issue.
0: Just to quickly say, but I feel like with Luca, and I think the whole we can we have like a firm proof now that like Luca can produce that he's always stepped up in the postseason like. Mm -hmm. Those numbers, like the past, especially the games that they won. it was Insane. Yeah, crazy. Mm -hmm. Crazy, right? And I I agree with you. Like, not having, like, a second guy that could score at least 20 points with Luca is a major issue, especially if you're facing Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. And Mm -hmm. even if Paul George is struggling and he's not living up to being playoff P, right, even if he's struggling, like, that's still a lot. You're still facing Kawhi Leonard when he's Mm -hmm. there and he's locked in and focused. So – I, the reason I, I wanted to ask you this question was because I heard something when I was listening to all the like the various like uh, sports media throughout the week since like the Mavericks got eliminated, which was there's was something about Luca where it's like you have to build around him almost in the same way that he, like any team that LeBron has been on, you had to build the roster in a way that completely sinks in with LeBron. And I feel like Luca has kind of grown and had that kind of effect. Mm -hmm. And is that right? Is that wrong? Uh, I'm trying because I'm not certain if I want to put Luca at that level yet, where I think like this guy is has like a LeBron kind of aura around him Mm -hmm. where you have to build the team around him completely. Um,
1: So I, I get your point there. Here's what I'll say that are absolutely that's absolutely true about LeBron James and Luka Doncic. As an opposing team, when you're going up against these guys, you know that your only chance of beating that team is to make either LeBron or Luka Doncic the primary scorer for that team, for the Lakers or for the Mavericks. Because those players, both of them, are at their best and most lethal and have their greatest impact when they're finding other guys on the floor. Now, Luka Doncic just didn't have... See, I don't want to say he didn't have enough. If he had that solid, reliable number two, I think it could have been enough. But the fact that you just had one guy in KP who, I mean, it was taking six, 15, 16 shots for this guy to get to 20 points. Like that's, that's that in itself is going to shoot Dallas in the foot or shoot any team in the foot. So what I'll say is like, you know, when it comes to how you have to construct teams around these guys, it is kind of similar in that these guys are there at their best both of them when they're distributors i think the same goes for a guy like james harden too like he's at his best when he's finding guys on the floor when he has teammates who can make shots open or contested shots because james harden luka Doncic, and lebron james are all at their best when they're facilitators so i think it is for luka and lebron i think roster construction is kind of similar you need to have a a really dominant, like a su- really, really good elite level number two, who can kind of take on that primary scorer role and suck all the attention of the defense onto them because they are such elite scorers, like elite, like we know Anthony Davis can be. And you sprinkle talent around them just so these guys can be their best players, which are facilitators, passers. LeBron James, you know, as- his whole career is drawn. Comparisons to Michael Jordan, because the greatest of all time debate, but in actuality, this guy's more like Magic Johnson than Michael Jordan, because he's one of the greatest facilitators of all time. He's one of the greatest point guards at six foot eight that the game has ever seen. So and I think Luka Doncic is kind of in that same conversation now. He's essentially a point guard. So he's a six foot eight point guard. He's just a better shooter. He's a better shooter than LeBron, not necessarily not the best three point shooter by any means, but definitely a better shooter. They're both elite scorers when they have to be but both of them are at their best when they're facilitators. So I would almost say, yeah, you kind of have to build teams around them similarly. And and Luke is just so good and so dominant on the, on the offensive end, even when he is at his best facilitating, he's scoring at the same time. So you have so much coming from one package there that, yeah, I think you, I think you really can start to look at those guys and say, you have to build teams around them similarly.
0: Let's go to another superstar. And this guy just won MVP, Nikola Jokic, who, it's kind of amazing, I because it's been like a slow, I would say a slow ascension to superstardom. Yeah, we, definitely. Jokic basically became like a the star, like a top ten. I would consider him a top ten guy. Like last year, and then this year he pretty much cemented that he's in the top ten. And you can make a convert make an argument that maybe he could get into that top five. Maybe he can get in there. And it's a crowded top five too, because you're contending against guys like LeBron. You're contending against Kawhi, Luka, James Harden, Steph Curry. Like you're you're basically competing with all those guys. And he even has like his own competition for best center in Joel Embiid, right? And Mm. just for me, it's kind of amazing. Like one of the images that keeps – Been flooding around Twitter like a a lot since he won MVP. Was when he got drafted, they were playing a Cesarito commercial at the while he was getting drafted. Like he was drafted in the second round by the Denver Nuggets, and it was pretty much an afterthought. Then he comes in, and this guy basically changes not only Denver, but it feels as though he is really making such a significant difference for like the center position as a whole. Like we've never really seen a center like him before, and. When you you see how Jokic is basically ascended since getting drafted by the Nuggets, like what's the part about his game that really like raised him into superstar
1: Another guy who's at his best when he's facilitating, when he's a facilitator. That's what connects all of these superstars. Is there just I mean, obviously he's one of the greatest passing big men to ever play the game. But he's someone where the offense runs through him and has to because of just how good he is at finding other guys on the floor. He can be an elite scorer, too, but he's at his best when he is a facilitator. I think that I, I think getting into shape this year has a huge, huge part to play in his winning MVP. He was he was able to go. I, I watched at Nikola Jokic this year head into overtimes, a couple double overtimes where this man was just not didn't seem gassed at all. And thinking about the Nikola Jokic we've known in years prior, I mean, that sounds crazy, doesn't that? This guy was sometimes it, sometimes the most cardiovascularly fit person on the floor. Or at least that's the way it looked, because he just would enter these overtime periods or even end like the stretches of fourth quarter is looking like it's still the first opening five, six minutes. And he's, you know, just starting to get into a rhythm and no one slows this guy down. No one speeds him up. It, he plays at his own pace, which is kind of, I mean, already way slower than a lot of other guys that went won MVP in the past. Um, but you're right. It has been this slow ascension. You have to give credit to where credit is due uh, to uh, Tim Connolly and Steve Cranky back in 2013, 2014. Like, even late after the, just making the decision to stick with Jokic over Yusuf Nurkic, like, as good as Nurkic is, you picked the MVP. Like You wound up sticking with a guy who's turned into MVP. So You have to give those guys credit for just the talent recognition and going with their gut and sticking with who they believe was the better player because, let's be honest, he is the better player. He's an MVP. I think it's great for the league to just have a, a center win, a center who doesn't necessarily dominate physically like a Dwight Howard or even a Joel Embiid who doesn't use his body enough, but still more of a physical force than Jokic, who is, I mean, as slow as he is, as great of a passer as he is, he's, he's a, he's a finesse big. It's seven foot, seven foot one. This guy's a finesse big. And he's just been absolutely magical to watch. He's almost like a seven foot magic at times. Like he doesn't move like magic whatsoever, but the way he sees the floor and some of the touch passes he makes are just ridiculous. They're absolutely insane. Um, but I think this year for him, I think the biggest difference was getting in shape, just being able to play even games that didn't go into overtime full a full 48 minutes where he's just and physical condition just never gets in the way. That's what allows you to play at your own pace the entire time that's what's let this guy uh, ascend into MVP caliber. So I think that was huge for him. And I don't think people should overlook that weight loss and that kind of physical transformation that he went through. Cause it's just allowed him to be the best player on the floor in most games for full 48 minutes.
0: You know, what's interesting about him is, and I've always, I've been thinking about this for months now, which is as you described, like he's not a physical like force, like the way that other big guys are like when we watch guys like Anthony Davis, when we watch guys like Dwight Howard, Joel Embiid, and even Zion, for that matter, like mm-hmm. what's the what's the one thread that that connects all those big guys? They are almost athletic marvels. Like we've never seen physical mm-hmm. athletic talent from those guys, and Jokic doesn't fit that profile. Like he's like his athletic ceiling, like there's a clear ceiling compared mm-hmm. to those guys who we have no idea where the, where the the, the uh, where their athletic athletic limit is. Mm-hmm. So when that's the thing that's like the most shocking part about this is that he's managed to make this work, even when he and everybody else knows that there's a clear ceiling to hit to what he can do physically. And would you say like th- th- this team, the fact like this is like the fact that he managed to will this nuggets team past the Blazers without Jamal Murray, without like really just like, it's basically him and Michael Porter. Who are carrying like the scoring load, right? And mm-hmm. it's kind of like it's this—it's so fascinating. And he's basically going to be the only reason that this Nuggets team is going to stay in contention for as title contenders for years to come. Mm-hmm. So, when you look at this team, what's the next thing that he needs to do to add on to really like keep going, or is there just like this is it? He's reached this. He's reached the uh, the pinnacle. He's reached the summit of what he can do.
1: Well, I think getting you know talent back around him will elevate his game more i think staying in shape is huge a lot of guys can get in shape but can you maintain that physique and that physical conditioning for the remainder of your career that's going to be huge for him especially like you said considering that physically and athletically he seems pretty you know like tapped out like he's kind of reached his full potential there so you know with certain guys and i mean You talk about a guy like LeBron who's just gotten better with age, you know, that's not something that we should sit here and expect from Nikola Jokic. He's going to have to do everything he can. And obviously LeBron's invested so much into his body and he works on his body like a tremendous amount. But I don't think it matters how much work Nikola Jokic puts into his body. He's never going to be LeBron James in that he can reach 33, 34 years old and still – be an MVP caliber player for the next two, three years. So, and I don't know what's left in the future or cards for LeBron, but we'll see. Um, Yeah, I think staying in shape is going to be huge for him. I don't think he needs to be a more aggressive scorer. Like the way he, his feel for the game and the way he approaches the game now, trying to be a facilitator, Look, I think the greatest players in the game right now are guys who, when they're at their best, are, you know, facilitating. And LeBron James, I know Kevin Durant's at the top of the list right now, but he's another guy where if, if he's just dishing and he can get other teammates' opportunities, like I Kevin Durant's never been a double-digit assist guy. But if he if Kevin Durant is up in six, seven, eight assists, he's already beaten you just because of the fact that he's been able to find other guys. He hasn't even try, he hasn't even had to score. And that's a guy who's obviously at his scariest when you know, he, he, when he's getting whatever shot he wants, but he's really at his best and having his greatest impact when he's facilitating. So, um, which sounds crazy for a guy like Kevin Durant, who's not necessarily an assist monster or anything like that. But for Jokic, look, I don't know if it's going to be much of getting better. I don't know if the numbers are really going to improve all that much, but it's going to be slight things. Obviously, getting more talent around him, staying in shape, being able to play full 40 minutes, maybe getting a little bit faster, a little bit stronger year by year, however you can you know, obviously marginal differences at this age, but you know, it's not like this guy is going to show up and you know, all of a sudden be an athletic freak. And I mean, obviously everyone can continue to work on shooting. Everyone can continue to work on, you know, rebounding, but you know, I, those aren't things that he needs to improve in order to continue to be one of the best centers in the NBA. He's kind of already there. He is already there, but see he, for most people, he's the best center in the NBA right now, but, it's hard to say. He's obviously going to improve. He doesn't need to improve. I think the biggest thing for him is just ma- making sure you're cons- year in, year out, in at least this physical condition, because for someone whose athletic ability, like you, like you mentioned, is is pretty, you know, we've reached it. It's it's going to be important that you stay in shape and are constantly in shape because that that's the only way you're going to be able to maintain that level of play for as long as you'd like.
0: Let's wrap up this pod by simply going in. I want to. I'm going to say I'm going to say the one interesting part of of this playoff show far and then you tell me yours. For me, it's this rejuvenation of Blake Griffin. I got to tell you, I I didn't expect a scrappy Blake Griffin as a very um, gritty like position like Center. I didn't expect this at all, like coming out of yeah. from Blake Griffin, because if there was one position about this Brooklyn Nets team that you could easily keep attacking, it was at center. And I don't know how Blake's how they're going to defend Joel Embiid if the Sixers end up advancing past into the into the Eastern Conference Finals. But just judging by what's been going on in this Brooklyn Milwaukee series, like Blake has kind of like shown up and really stepped up in, into a position that the Nets desperately need, which was someone yeah. who could at least be a competent center because it's just basically him and Nick, Nick Claxton at this point. Mm-hmm. And this has to be like the biggest revelation, of for me at least, is Blake Griffin transforming himself from the dunker and scorer that we knew he was back in L.A. to what he is now, which is like the super role player.
1: Yeah, and it's been phenomenal. It's been exactly what Brooklyn's needed, and it just makes me think. Think about how much how much better this team would be if LaMarcus Aldridge stuck around. Like, actually think about sus. Uh, think about if LaMarcus Aldridge was still on this roster. Like, I just – if you're really getting – if you're still getting this level of play from Blake in what would be fewer minutes, like, you're going to be even more dominant. Um, he has been great. It's been a lot of fun to watch. Uh, sports center put out uh, so, so, uh, another sports editor made it and sports center shared it yesterday, but a very funny edit with, uh, you know, Giannis turning into like, that's so Raven um, when he sees Blake Griffin, you know, come in baseline before he dunked on him. Um, and it was just, you know, Blake dunks from all season with Brooklyn. And I just think it's so funny because, you know, again, I, I bring him up again, but Justin Huntsman our my friend and co-host for the lead just always said, you know, When when the first play they run from Blake Griffin in Brooklyn is, you know, either a lob or an wide open dunk, and he hasn't dunked in like a year and a half, (laughs) he's going to call the feds. And I mean, Blake Griffin doesn't seem to have lost much of a step anymore. He's just, you know, playing a role and doing it extremely well. I would say, though, for me, my favorite, like, kind of subtle storyline that I don't know if a lot of people have even talked about, um, at least in this series, but Trey Young just becoming a villain. Like he is accepting this and loving this role as a villain in the Eastern Conference. He accepted it and loved it at MSG. And he's getting the hate now in Philly. And he's liked it and he's accepted it. And he he he's handling it so well, too. He doesn't get doesn't go to his head, he doesn't take it too personally. He he, he feeds off it, he knows it's part of the game. And it's awesome to watch. I love it. I think the league is in need of another villain. And I think Trey Young could fit that bill really, really well. Um, And I think it's obviously just his personality and his level of play make it all that much more exciting. I mean, when this guy's going out game after game and dropping 30 balls in the playoffs against good teams and shutting crowds up and, you know, bowing and doing all this disrespectful stuff while crowds, you know, disrespect him. The whole Trey is balding Chan and New York was ruthless to him. And he's just loved it. He's accepted it. Um, and he's just played the character. He's done a great, I think it's awesome for the league. I think Trey Young's doing a great job, uh, kind of taking on that character and accepting it. Cause not everyone wants to be the villain. You know, not a lot of guys can handle being the villain and going into MSG and being the villain. Never mind. That's not for everyone. And he loved it. He clearly, uh, just, accepted the moment and i think it's gonna be something that we could run with and definitely see more of in years to come like i i hope the new york knicks and atlanta hawks meet up in future playoff series regular season games when trey young comes to town now in new york are going to be electric because everyone's just going to want to shut show up to just shut this guy down however they can and i think he's building he's going to do the same thing in philadelphia if he can make this series uh, interesting which they seem to have done to start taking home court advantage if they could go back at least to two to philadelphia i think he definitely has the potential to really continue building that villainous reputation there i just and uh, you know if if atlanta finds a way to knock off philadelphia and head to an eastern conference finals against the brooklyn nets he could become the same villain in in brooklyn it's so he be a villain in two different arenas in one city that's been my favorite little kind of side storyline is trey young's ascension to being the one of the nba's top villains now
0: you know you kind of brought up an interesting point here because not a lot of the stars like we've seen like lebron kd they've been kind of thrust into this villain role but mm-hmm. not, neither one of them really wanted it like yep yeah. LeBron tried to accept it, and that was, like, his first year. He tried to accept this villain role, and it didn't work out. And he, we knew for a fact that, like, he wasn't – he just kind of looked miserable, like, mm-hmm. trying to be the villain. It, it, clearly, like, both those guys just want love. They want to be loved. And then yeah. it kind of takes, like, a special kind of, like, a certain personality. And what I see with Trey, and now that you, ha- you have me thinking about it, was it's a little Reggie Miller in him. Is a lot yeah, of, a 100%. lot of Reggie Miller and like Reggie loved he thrived on it and I think it takes like the right crowd too like notice that like the two crowds that have really helped feed this whole story really you New York and Philly East East Coast fan bases that have like this mm-hmm. angst they have this sense of just we are they always have like a reputation too like we know like New York crowds like forget about it they're one of the most passionate fans in the country whether if it's basketball, baseball, football, hockey, like those guys come, they, when they show up, they will show up. And Mm -hmm. Philly, you know, the whole reputation, you know, this as an Eagles fan, they have, they have the reputation to uphold, which was be as ruthless, but also Mm -hmm. they can go a bit overboard, but you get the point. I think it's like a combination of like three things. One, the fact that he's incredibly talented, right? That has to be, that's the main ingredient. The crowds are important. The fact that he's got New York and Philly, I think, are the key. And then, number three, I think he has the most punchable face in all of basketball. <laughs> he might have the most <laughs> punchable face in the entire NBA. Like, I can't, th- when I watch that guy smirk and he's bowing at you, it's like uh, uh, there's like this little rage that comes that builds up. <laughs> I'm just, I just like, why are you bowing? How dare you bow? In- yeah, I love that exactly like he's yeah. bowing in like msg i'm like what are you doing like how dare yeah. you like come on
1: stop well, like that. kobe kobe wasn't bowing at msg steph curry didn't bow at msg but trey young's like nah i'm a bow for you like i love the attitude and you're 100 right other guys have been forced into the villain role whether it be you know James Harden, LeBron James, Kevin Durant, none of those guys have really wanted it. Trey's accepting it, which is why it's so awesome. Another side storyline, which I don't even know if it's a side storyline or anything, but I think after this after this postseason, um, barring anything drastic between now and the end of the NBA Finals, Kevin Durant should head into next year as the best player in basketball. I think everyone should be agreeing that Kevin Durant is the best player in basketball wow. when we go into next year. At least the... The playoff, playoff run I just saw from LeBron, which obviously not to his fault, own fault. He had a, just not a worthwhile roster around him against a solid Phoenix, a very, very good Phoenix team, a team that I right now expect to come out of the Western Conference. And obviously LeBron doesn't have Anthony Davis either, but eventually father time catches up to everybody. So it's at this point, I can't expect that LeBron James is going to go into next season. And, be as good as what I'm seeing from Kevin Durant right now granted he's LeBron James and I'm sure if he heard me say that he'd be like who is that kid he doesn't know anything and like he could very well show up and be the best player again next year and honestly I would love to see that because I would love to see the battle again however I just don't think that's the way things are going right now I think Kevin Durant is the clear-cut best player in basketball he gets it done on both ends of the floor I think people have maybe held the obviously the choice to go to Golden State against his skill, which has never really made any sense to me. Like if you're talking about legacy, okay. But if we're talking about what makes the guy the best or better player that has literally nothing to do with it. And people have held that against him and in regards to his, the conversation and who's more skilled. And I just think that's ridiculous. Um, I also think if not for the injury, the Achilles injury, he would already probably be in the conversation more, but let me tell you this when we get to the eastern conference finals and kevin and james harden hasn't returned and the nets beat the milwaukee bucks in five games or less and it looks like they're on their way to another sweep or another five game series at most against either philly or atlanta the conversations are going to start happening on national media more and more and more kevin durant is he the best player has he surpassed lebron is lebron even what can LeBron continue this trend of getting better as he ages? Really, is Kevin Durant now the far and away best player in basketball? And I, I, right now, the way I see things transpiring is Kevin Durant winning a Finals MVP, winning another ring. I think right now all the cards are in um, favor of Kevin Durant uh, taking that crown as the greatest currently. Does has he had a better career than LeBron James? No, I wouldn't. I'm not saying that. Will he go down as being a better player all time? No, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying right now or going into next year, I think it will be pretty, pretty, I don't want to say unanimous, but because there will always be the LeBron diehards out there. But I think it's going to be pretty well known across the league that Kevin Durant is the confirmed best player.
0: That's an interesting point. I just, for me, like the only reason I'm hesitant is I want to see how the rest of the, uh, how the rest of it shakes out. Cause there's like a lot, if you take LeBron out of the equation, there is a really just like a complete, it's a complete like dogfight for like the, who's the number one undisputed best player in the league. Cause you have multiple contenders for that spot. It's like KD, as you mentioned, I, you have to give Giannis at least a shot at it. I would say no, absolutely not. Wow. Okay, we're just not. We're just going to completely reject Giannis. Gotcha. <laughs> I would. I any. I don't think there's a
1: single player on the planet right now on the same level as Kevin Durant. I really don't. Not, not even I, if I mean, Luca
0: steps up a, another level. Not even if like I mean,
1: did, he's not the two-way player that Kevin Durant is. Kevin Durant gets it done on both. What, so you're what if Ka- about a guy who's elite on both ends of the floor? Kawhi is an interesting name because yeah. he obviously gets it done on both ends of the floor. If he played and like
0: he, more, like if he played back-to-backs, I think he would definitely take the spot. His his tendency to not
1: play throughout regular seasons over the last few years, like everyone might say, oh, well, Kevin Durant didn't play this year. I don't think that was even Kevin Durant's decision. I think that was definitely Sean He had an ankle injury. Like,
0: what, what else do you want? Like, he had a severe ankle injury. Like, why are people, like, if you're complaining about KD not playing through an ankle injury, like, how about you try playing on an ankle injury?
1: Right, and it's not even that, but it's like, to me, I don't think Katie really had a say, like, obviously he's the best player. And if he really wants to play and feels hundred percent, then I guess they would let him, but I'm sure Brooklyn has been calculating this. They knew what they had acquired. They knew what they had assembled after they traded for James Harden. They knew what they had. They weren't going to risk these guys getting hurt for anything. If that meant with these guys going into the the postseason with two games under their belt, having played with a full roster together, then that's what they would have done. I'm sure they got to seven games and we were like, wow, we definitely don't need more than this. These guys are going to get plenty of burn in practice together. We're going to be just fine. They knew exactly what they put together. So, I mean, to me, like all credit to where credit is, you got to give all the credit to Sean Marks here because he's what, what he's built. But when it comes to KD resting versus Kawhi resting, I think Kawhi resting in his career because this isn't the first year we saw Kawhi rest has largely just been load management. I'm tired. I don't really want to play. I kind of want to take the night off because the regular season just isn't that important. I need to save myself for the regular season or for the postseason. Whereas for Kevin Durant, even if he wanted to play this year, I'm sure they were saying, why, like, why bother? Like, we don't care. We only care about the postseason. Um, so, I mean, If anything, it's more of an indictment on the regular season itself and how kind of irrelevant it's gotten, even at 72 games, cutting it by 10 games, how irrelevant that is and how players really view a regular season and how front offices view a regular season. That's more of an indictment on that than it is on the player itself. Um, But still, I would put Kawhi... A bit lower just because he doesn't do it on the game in game out basis that we've seen Kevin Durant do in the past, not this year because of his, his injury issues, but in years past, game in game out, he's the best player on the floor. And Kevin Durant is what makes super teams. That's the thing that people need to understand is that these super teams that Kevin Durant has played for or, you know, been a part of, he is made. He is the super team. Kyrie and James Harden are just a really, really good backcourt in the Eastern Conference right now. They're probably the best backcourt in the Eastern Conference. They're probably the best backcourt in the NBA. But are they winning an NBA title, like, shorthandedly? I don't think so. Do you add Kevin Durant to the mix, you don't even need one of those two pieces. And now it looks like you're shorthandedly going to win an NBA final. So, to me, Kevin Durant's the best player in the world. Kawhi's definitely up there. But I think Kevin Durant right now is kind of in a clasp zone.
0: Let's keep this in mind. This is if we took LeBron out of the equation, though. That I mean, because then after that, if you put a LeBron, it's like basically a three-way. It's a three-way race for the best guy in the league, and coincidentally, they're both all three of them are wing players, and they're both two-way guys. But I want to kind of wrap this up by simply saying Mm -hmm. that it kind of just sealed it. Like after watching the Brooklyn Nets against the Bucks for these past two games, like they're definitely getting to the finals. Like it's, I'm not even just. It's just. I feel bad because I want to root for the Sixers, and I think I actually think the Sixers will give the Nets a, a huge like fight because mm-hmm. how are they going to deal with MB is the question, really. So I have the Nets in the finals, and then you think you believe the Suns are going are the favorites to get in, head to represent the Western Conference, and I'm just thinking like it's so wide open because without the Lakers now, the West is so wide open, and I have to really think about. Which team do I think is going to advance past? Because you could make a case for all four of the teams that are still in the finals. Well, maybe not Denver, not exactly, but they still have a shot. Mm-hmm. So why do you believe that Phoenix is going to be there? Because I'm starting to, I myself, I'm starting to think it's going to be a Suns Nets finals, which I would be, it would be so great because I think the entire country would be right, would be going right behind, would be rooting for the Suns. Mm-hmm. They'd be rooting I, for CP3. I, I,
1: uh, yeah i love this the brand of basketball phoenix is playing right now you're watching mike Hal bridges even after la- even last night when he really really struggled for the vast majority of the game he's having a, like the starting five for this phoenix suns team you're getting four guys scoring in 20 in 20 points or more and then the fifth guy is somewhere around anywhere between 15 to 18 and then you've got depth beyond depth you've got guard depth you've got wing depth you've got big depth like a facet that is constantly overlooked by fans and analysts in the postseason is having depth is have is being good obviously superstar talents like probably the pinnacle the most important aspect but if you are really that deep and you really can go two three units give the starters give starters eight nine minutes of rest and have a second unit that can go out there and win a third of the game while your stars or your best players are off the floor that's absolutely massive they Right now, Phoenix has the most depth in the entire. I mean, I maybe not the entire league because Brooklyn definitely has depth, but it's scary how much depth uh, how much depth Phoenix has. Um, it is hard to say that you know the way Utah is playing basketball right now that I can't see them coming out of the West. I definitely could. I think a Western Conference Finals between the Jazz and the Suns would be just absolutely great for the NBA, kind of a little bit of parody, but you've got young superstars on the stage. You've got Chris Paul and Mike Conley. Hopefully Conley comes back and can reins- reinsert himself into the mix. And, and you've got two veterans on the stage. You've got the Defensive Player of the Year, the third-time Defensive Player of the Year on the stage. I mean, absolutely insane that he's a third-time Defensive Player of the Year. He's almost basically secured as a Hall of Famer now at this point, Rudy Gobert. But, um, and then you've got, Two of the most well the two most well rounded teams in the conference, uh, going up and doing battle, and I just think it's going to come down to Phoenix having a little bit more depth, and in the end, the combo of Devin Booker and CP3, maybe just being a little bit better than the combo of Donovan Mitchell and Mike Conley, even though I think Donovan Mitchell is the best player in that series.
0: I would say that I think like a Suns Clippers series would be pretty cool because it's CP3 taking on his old team. And we get to see more playoff because I don't know why the league just loves making fun of Paul George. They just love like ragging on him. And I, in some ways I feel bad a little bit, but cause it does get excessive sometimes, but at the same time you, the guy gave himself the playoff P nickname. I'm like, you're kind of, in some ways it's partially his fault mm-hmm. that everyone's been clowning him. But like you when he was at the line against uh he was at the line in game one. They started chanting playoff P in so loud, too. Mm-hmm. Like that, those jazz fans came, came up and they and they showed up. Yeah. And I was just like, oh my God. Paul George better like shut this whole crowd down. Cause if they if they let if he struggles, like I think that series is gonna end really quickly.
1: Yeah, he has to turn it on. Unfortunately, what I was talking about last night about the Clippers, Paul George specifically, is, you know, everyone's asking, when is he going to stop being complacent? When's he going to stop settling for jump shots? When's he going to, you know, go to a floater? When's he just going to try to attack the rim? Guys, I don't think it's coming. I don't think that's happening. Paul George is the player he is and he settles pretty much every game, but that's because Paul George is used to being an elite jump shooter. So it's either we're, we're going to get the same Paul George game in and game out, it's just going to be do the shots fall. And honestly, that's not a game you want to be playing if you're the Clippers. But I think that's just where we are. Paul George is just who he is, who he is. And we, you know, you just have to hope that the shots start to fall for him because I don't think this is a guy that's going to start looking to be more aggressive and get close to the hoop. He's going to still take the same shots. And for the Clippers, in if they want to win this series, he's just going to have to make them. Um, so that that's really it. I, that's my take on Paul George. I mean, I tried to give this guy the benefit of the doubt for, the, for a while, but, I mean, if he just – if we see what we see out of Paul George for the rest of this series, what we've seen out of, the, out of him uh, in game one, I mean, that was just not – that's not going to get it done. And even Kawhi, who was held to nine for 19, even if he has you know a game like he had in game six against Dallas, if you don't have a, a reliable number two – and this is a Clippers team that doesn't have depth – much at all either. Like you have guys like Rondo who's coming off the bench for experience, Boogie Cousins, ex- I mean some kind of experience and size, but you're actually relying on some production from Boogie Cousins. Patrick beverly I mean, Terrence Mann isn't really providing much. Luke Kennard has been was great in game in the first game he's played in this playoffs and they needed it because without him it would have been a it would have been a, closer to a 10-15 point win uh, f- uh for Utah. So I'm just like you know, unless Paul George really steps it up for every game of this series, I, I really just think Utah is going to be able to handle them because the depth really isn't there. Uh, and Kawhi as good as he is, can't win this series on his own against this well-rounded of a team in the jazz.
0: All right, Pat, thanks so much for being on this podcast. I really appreciate it. Let the people know how they can reach out to you on social media and what you've been up to.
1: Please. Yeah, guys, you can hit me up on Twitter at Pat underscore foster 33. You can also find me on Instagram at P frost underscore 31. Uh, Like us said in my introduction, his introduction for me, I am, you know, uh, I've created and I host a podcast called the baller biz podcast every Saturday comes out most mostly Saturday. Some days we have to or some weeks we have to release Sunday. Unfortunately, no episode this week, but Every week, my buddies, Justin Huntsman and Sage Kamasi and I hop on a Zoom call for about an hour and a half, and we just talk the business of all sports leagues, whether it be the NBA, Europe, European soccer, Australian tennis, anything. If it's significant, if there's significance to sports business, we're talking about it week in and week out. You can also find me on Locker Room app every Wednesday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Justin, again, and I are on there uh, every for two hours Wednesday nights talking everything NBA on our show shoot around. Uh, which we uh, put on for the outlet called the lead uh, sports media so definitely check out the uh, you can find all of our previous episodes of shoot around uploaded under the podcast tab there um, and yeah as far as that that's unfortunately the only industry work i've got going on sus you know being a 2020 COVID grad still still working to find that first uh, first in in the professional sports media world but We'll, we'll, we'll keep chugging away. And uh, hope, hopefully uh, next time we talk, we do get to talk again. Uh, things have changed in that department, but for now that's all i got going on. So if you guys could follow us, and if you guys could follow the ball of his podcast on Twitter at the Baller of his pod, uh, that'd be a huge, huge help as well. We post all of our, our episodes out on our Twitter page every week. Uh, but yeah, that's it for me. Thanks.
0: Sus. Anytime. That's going to do it. Everybody. Don't forget to follow this podcast on Spotify as well as anchor.fm and Apple podcasts. Thank you everybody for listening. And I'll see you guys next time.